You're listening to The Interrobang Room, a podcast that challenges individuals to be passionately curious. My name is Douglas Witherup, and I'm the senior pastor to the Multiply family of churches. Join us as I sit down with industry leaders as we laugh, converse, and sometimes debate our way through how to approach life with a spirit of discovery and adventure. Hey, welcome to the Interbang Room. I'm your host, Doug Witherup, here as always with John Hernandez and Zach Witt. I got an, I got an interesting title today that um, actually, if they would have heard our banter five minutes ago, we were talking about asterisks and baseball season and <laughs> basketball season and bubbles and all of that. But um, uh, <laughs> maybe, next, maybe next week, maybe next week, maybe next, maybe next week. But we'll we'll set that aside and do a complete 180. So here's here's the title and the topic for today. So we are talking about Voltron. Voltron. John Hernandez is our resident Voltron expert. Don't worry. Don't worry. If you not if you were not a children a child of the 80s or 90s, John will explain to you what Voltron is. Voltron and the Imago Day. So cartoons, the image of God and issues of race and justice. Cartoons, the image of God, issues of race, race and justice. So here's what I'm going to do, guys, before we dive into some of the more fun. We've got some stories that we're going to look at. We've got some scientific scientific research we're going to look at and also uh, nothing better than reminiscing about some cartoons from back in the day. But before we do that, what I want to do is give our listeners a a Theology 101 lesson. So um, listen, our, our audience for this, not everybody may be uh, people of faith or have, have a Christian background. And so um, Doug, for the entire bang room, why are you going into, why are you dressing theology? Well, here's, here's what we have to understand is that um, just in world history, so let's attack this from a world history standpoint. From a world history standpoint, um, human history, interpretation of Genesis 1 has mattered immensely just in the course of human history, whether, whether you're a person of Christian faith or not. It has mattered immensely. So let me give you an example of this. Uh, let's use an example from the world of politi- political science. So basically, let's take, um, let's take socialism and set that aside. If you take socialism and set that aside, there have been two government systems in the history of, of the world, in all of humanity. You either have kings or you have democracy. And those two systems came out of just two different interpretations of what Genesis 1 uh, said. Wow. So, so one interpretation of Genesis 1 said God made Adam and gave him dominion, right? So the people that were, you've heard, you may remember the phrase from world history, the divine right of kings. That came from a theological interpretation of Genesis 1. So they believed that Adam was the first king, yeah. that God gave Adam uh, the divine right of kings, and that was passed down through his lineage. And so his firstborn son then became the next king and became the next king. And the king had dominion from God, and so divine right of kings, and the king could do whatever uh, he wanted. So for good or bad, if you had a good king, you had a good kingdom. If you had an evil king, you had an evil kingdom. And wars were fought in that and all, all, of, the, all of that. Um, then you had John Locke. So John Locke came on the scene. He was the philosopher behind democracy. And what John Locke, he started with, with Genesis. If you read John Locke's works, the whole, his whole thing is uh, a, it's quite lengthy. 
and quite quite boring. So let me let me save footnotes. you. Yeah, footnotes. So let me save you, save you reading. Basically, what John Locke said is is this. This is all of John Locke's philosophy in a sentence, two sentences. Adam wasn't a king; he was a steward. So all of humanity was given creation to steward, and we do that best in the uh, governmental system of a democracy. So anyway, I say, like I say that to say this, like our theology, our theology matters. Like you may be listening to this again, you may not be a person of faith. I would say to you, um, but your theology matters. What you think about God ma- matters because we end up living, uh, whether it's in social sciences or political sciences or medical sciences. So like when the, in- the university system was introduced, everybody studied, studied theology. And so, like, we, uh, I, I say it like this. I stole it from somebody, but every ology is a branch of theology. Yeah. Um, so if you wanted to study psychology, first you studied theology, and then you studied it as applied to psychology. If you wanted to study biology, first you studied theology, and then you applied it to biology. So um, here's, the, here's the theological term that has been talked about for centuries and why it matters so much in our society today as again we're faced every day with the issues of race and justice and where where we are at in 2020 what are we what are we going to do with these things and this is um what i would say like as a, 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 a as a as a pastor this would i would say why our theology matters so much so the theology is a latin phrase imago dei and it simply means in the image of god in the image of god so Christian faith believes that all of humanity is created in the image of God. Let me give you Theology 101. Here's the the verse from Genesis 1. Um, It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image. So you have this idea of let us make them. God is not awkwardly referring to himself in the third person like a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> he is, so, so that us, that us, God is, it's this idea um, of unity and plurality. So the, the phrase there would be the Trinity, the triune Godhead. So, so Christians believe that God is one but he is three entities in one. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so it's the fullness of the Godhead is found in this idea of unity and plurality. And in fact, we don't experience the fullness of who God is unless we experience him as the Father, Son, and the Spirit. So then you have this idea of let us make them. So again, them. Who's them? Um, Them, the Hebrew word there is human beings. It's a plural word. And this is important. It included both men and women, and it refers to the entire human race. So again, there's this idea of unity and plurality. That's why for people of Christian faith, we believe that in in Adam and Eve, all of the races were in Adam and all of the races were in Eve, and that we believe that we don't experience the fullness of our humanity except in its plurality. So in the Christian faith, race is sacred. We are all image bearers, and that's why for us, racism in any form, we call it, we call it, we use this word, you know, it's a scary word, uh, sin. It's a, it's a sin, but, but for in the Christian faith, racism in any form is a sin because 
Uh, basically, it's a slap in the face of God who created all of humanity in his image. And so, um, again, that's what we believe. So we're, we're pastors here and we're talking about this, but this is why, this is why that matters. So let's, let's, let's jump now. Let's go to cartoons. So there's your theology 101. Now let's go to Voltron 101. I'm going to throw it over to John because even though you and I grew up in the same era, I didn't watch Voltron because I had four and a half channels and Voltron wasn't on my channels and suddenly I feel deprived. So tell me what, like, what is Voltron? Yeah, you know, Voltron was a cartoon that I watched as a kid and then Netflix actually reintroduced it several years ago. My boys just consumed it. Um, but really, the the concept of the show was that there was these five pilots of these individual spacecrafts that looked like lions. Like basically, they were lions. And um, when they came together, they formed this super robot called Voltron. And and nothing in the universe could beat Voltron. But what I uh, always found fascinating about the show, even as a kid, I, um, they, they would have these internal strifes as as a group of five, and it was always always something silly, like, you know, somebody stole someone's sandwich or someone said something bad, and they, they just felt really bad about it, and they, they'd get into these fights, like they'd deal with this enemy that would come upon them, and they would be tough enemies that they couldn't necessarily figure out how to defeat um, uh, individually, but then eventually what they figured out was they would have to overcome their own personal differences to eventually then form Voltron. And I remember even as a little kid thinking, why don't you just start the episode as Voltron? Why even leave the hangar as individuals? Just just start together collectively. So when we when we talk through this concept of power and plurality and unity, um, I, I've always I always imagine the church struggling to overcome our own issues and as you feel the tension that we're currently walking in, yeah. uh, I think this is one of those pressure points that we have to look at one another and say, we have to do the work that's necessary internally to overcome those obstacles because there's no way we defeat the ugliness of racism within the collective body of the church unless we get on the same page. And and, and in society. So like this, this matters deeply, right? Because um, you may have people that are like, why does this matter? Yeah. Let's just, let's just, hey, let's just stay in our lanes. This, let's let, let's let this race stay in their lane. White people stay in our lane. Look, we'll interact. But why are we really having to do the, this hard work as a society of talking about uncomfortable issues like race and justice? It's because like, we believe we're Voltron. Yeah. As a society, we don't function like there are there are aspects of family life and economic life and agricultural life and medical life. Like we really believe, truly believe that there are aspects that we don't fully embrace and engage in and are able to fully participate in as humanity unless we do that collectively together. And that's a big that's a big deal. Yeah. You know, and then you throw in our current. Uh, cultural climate where we have hyper isolation and at the same time we have hyper globalization right so what happens in one culture affects another we 
we can't, you know, there was a day and age segregation where separation, where, um, you know, some of the systematic um, issues of racism really did separate our worlds. And you could walk in a place where you're separated from other people and everybody looks just like you. We're no longer in that world. That world is gone. Thank God. The beauty of diversity means that I'm better because I know Zach and Zach's better because he knows me. And the differences between us make us more powerful collectively when we come uh, together. But again, in our hyper isolation where we're currently living in, not just even pre-COVID, with the way that the internet has kind of isolated us more and more, we have a whole generation that doesn't know how to kind of swim together. And then on the flip side of that, we have globalization where everything that happens across the world seems to affect everybody else. So we see, we see this idea of this, just this idea that we really are better together. We see this in multiple ecosystems, right? Yeah. So it's not just in humanity, it's in, it's in the animal kingdom as well. No doubt. Uh, I think going back to your phrase, unity and plurality, I, I think that's not just a, uh, something for humanity, but it's in all of nature. Uh, yeah. You guys remember the, the movie Happy Feet? With the penguins, didn't like it. Didn't like. It. <laughs> I re- I remember. Did you like it, John? I I don't remember. I, I mean, I remember not. I don't have an opinion. You don't have an opinion. Well, <laughs> my boys enjoyed it. Here, here's my opinion. My daughter likes dancing to it, so she, I want to watch the penguins because I want to dance. Works. And she like. I like penguins. There you go. She like especially ones that are from Pittsburgh. Oh. And skate on ice. And, and not dance. Didn't they win two championships back to back? They did. Why Thank you, you so much for bringing to, that up. To, Thank you. Hey, you back to back Stanley Cup championships. A little brown on your nose, there, John. <laughs> Listen, uh, that's, a, little, that's, a little brown on your nose. I know what it's like to to root for a losing team, but go ahead. Anyway, well, Doug does too with his Pirates. So uh, here we go. Okay, so back to one eighty one eighty eight, Zach. One eighty eight. Is that their collective batting average? That's their winning percentage. <laughs> <laughs> That's awful. Oh, that is awful. Wow. Uh, yeah, okay, wow. so so here's my plea, Mark Cuban. This is my personal <laughs> plea to you, Mark Cuban. If you're listening to this podcast, come rescue the Pittsburgh Pirates. You can be the hero of a city, Mark <laughs> Cuban. Your birthplace. You are a Pittsburgher. Come rescue us. All right, penguins. Right, back, back to penguins. <laughs> back to penguins. So anyway, in the movie Happy Feet, there, there's a lot of different penguins that are mentioned, but one type of penguin uh, is the emperor penguin. And if we look at real emperor penguins and how they survive, one of the ways they survive uh, subarctic temperatures is this idea or this concept called huddling. So uh, th- this huddling concept is that, and you've probably seen pictures of it or, or clips of it, but uh, basically these penguins rotate uh, in this circle and they will eventually go from the inner cortex where it's the warmest to the outer and they'll kind of share share body heat. And uh, imper- they, they've actually developed uh, this, what they call a social behavior. So it was something that they had to learn to do. So this social behavior known as huddling is something that if they didn't do it, they wouldn't survive. Uh, so huddling reduces what their bodies have to burn, the, the type of uh, heat and warmth and the fat that they have to burn uh, to survive. So this idea of rotation of I got your back and, and wow. you got my back, but we're going to con- continue to move, continue uh, to rotate in and out. So this learned behavior of inclusive, uh, inclusivity and unity it's not just a good idea, but it's an absolute necessity wow. for the survival of the emperor penguin. 
Now, if I associate this to something in my life, I always go back to when I hear things of unity or I hear things of uh, being inclusive together, I always think of going through Marine Corps boot camp and, and going through training. And, and when we're going through training, when we're clear rooms or, or clear buildings, this phrase that we would always hear uh, one another say was, I got your six, or, or I've got your back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of you. So regardless of what what's climate... Si- what's six? You're like behind you. I got your six. I got your back. So I, I got your back. I'm always going to be on your team. Don't worry. I, I'm, I'm looking out for what's behind you. So it's like six o'clock? Yeah, like six oh, o'clock. Oh, okay. So if I'm, yeah, that's what I was thinking. You're welcome. None of you. <laughs> well, not even in your Royal Ranger days? No, no. no six. So, so if we're clearing a room, yeah, right? I got yeah. your six. I I've got, got behind you. You clear gotcha. a room. I've got, I've got your back. So regardless of the climate that we found ourselves in, Regardless of another person's background or another person's skin tone or another person's belief system, I got your six. I've got your back. And we would rotate, kind of like the penguins, we would rotate Mm. in and out of these buildings, kind of clearing these rooms. But the reality of it is it was still a learned social behavior. It was something that we have had to learn. So let me go back to the the emperor penguin. So we kind of see it in with people, but we see it in nature as well. So without huddling, uh, emperor penguins just wouldn't survive an Arctic winter. So think about that for a second. If they didn't huddle, they didn't band together, if they didn't have this inclusivity or this unity, quite literally their bodies would not survive. Wow. Uh, first, the young would die. Then the adults would die. And put that into the context of the climate that we live in. If we don't learn to act like Voltron, if we don't learn to come together, if we don't learn to find unity in plurality, well, the reality of it is the first thing that it's going to affect is the young. Yeah. The first thing that it's wow. going to affect wow. is the kids. Yeah. And then we're going to feel, as adults, we're, we're going to feel the effects of it. So just like the emperor penguin, eventually they would become extinct. And I would say that if we don't learn how to find unity in plurality, then humanity as we know it could potentially face extinction. Why? Because if we don't learn to focus and work together, uh, then we turn against each other. So again, unity and plurality, not just for, for humans, but, but all of nature But itself. that is fascinating that it was a learned behavior, yeah. learned even behavior. in the animal yeah. kingdom. Animal like, kingdom. Like, doesn't that speak a lot of hope to us? Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's where I think the narrative has to go, yeah. that there is hope for the future. Yeah. Uh, if penguins can do this, we can too. <laughs> if penguins can do it, and, and so that if if knucklehead, you know, jarhead Marines can learn to do it, then then anybody can kind of learn to do it together. Yeah, I, I love the picture of choosing to suffer and choosing to share in success. That they take mm-hmm. turns, like that that willingness to say, "I've had my success. Now I'm going to move to the back and suffer as I step closer to the cold, so that others can share in the success." That I've just experienced. Well, That's we, beautiful. We can go back to the comment that Doug made earlier about stay, staying in your lane. Well, well, if white stays in their lane and, and black stays in their lane and Asian stays in... Well, the problem with that is there there's no rotation. Yeah. Mm. And the problem with that is we don't understand how others hurt and what the pain that others feel are. So when people ask the question, well, why does this race stuff matter to me? I'm not racist. Well, no, we need to lean into some of those conversations and some of those topics because... Once you lean into those talking points and you realize that there's probably some things in your life 
that, that man, you need to take a back seat to. Yeah. And it's time for you to rotate in and out wow. so you can feel some of those emotions. Wow. There's a there's another picture in 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 nature that I think helps us lean into those narratives and those stories a little bit. And that's with the uh, fish and the way that they school. Um, when we were talking through um, you know, kind of di- different metaphors in nature. I I thought of Finding Nemo. I don't know if you remember. I don't want to spoil that. There's a that. better movie. Yeah, better, better than better than Happy. Happy. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 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 we just need a whole podcast on good cartoons. Um, but there's a there's a part in the the end. I don't want to uh, you know. So here's a little spoiler alert. But yeah, it's been out for 15 if you haven't years, seen Finding they Nemo by now, spoil it. But there's a part where the the um, Nemo's father and Dory are stuck in a fishing net with a school of fish right and Nemo has to convince all the fish in their panic to actually swim together because what he figured out is if they can look beyond their panic and swim together that they can overpower the crane that's pulling the net it's a it's a cool end of a movie I thought it's a great story of unity but it also made me dig a little deeper into the science behind how fish school because I was also watching Shark Week this week which is not (laughs) as pretty of an ending for some of the fish but to see the way that fish move in schools and the way that sharks can attack the middle of a school of fish and still the school moves um the reason i i find that fascinating is because a lot of people at the beginning you know early science thought that somehow some fish would take the lead and what they found is the way that that school is able to be so nimble is there's actually not a leader in the school like in order for the school to move the way that it does what it requires is that each fish is not concerned with the whole, but hyper-focused on its neighbor. Wow. Um, so the the fish uses several things to keep in the formation. It, it keeps visual contact, so the eyes matter. It keeps a lateral line, so the way that they line up matter. And then they actually have organs inside of their body that can sense subtle pressure changes in the water. Because you want to talk about disaster if they can't feel their neighbor if they all just collided into each other, it would be disastrous, right? So um, I think sometimes when we talk about this issue of race, it becomes so overwhelming for people because we're trying to figure out the whole. We're trying to figure out the whole. Racial tensions in our country, racial tensions and injustice that have been around as a part of our government structure for, for decades. And to the guy who's you know, in rural South Carolina who, you know, has his community and been in his community for the last 30 years and knows everyone in his community, those seem so overwhelming. I think the lesson we can learn from schooling fish is really what we have to learn is how to be hyper-focused on our neighbor, how to be hyper-focused to the person who's next to us, which begs the question, who are you swimming next to? Are you swimming next to people who are different than you? When we swim next to people who are different than us, we're able to see the problem at a different level. We're able to see the problem as it affects those who we love, those who we cherish. And and what I believe ultimately, when we choose to swim next to people who are not like us, we both become better. And I think ultimately that's some of the picture that we need to see from this awe. It's it's fascinating, not just with fish, but even with birds and the way that they flock and the way that they create torrid patterns and Scientists try to figure out these calculations, but at the end of it, there is something ingrained in nature that knows how to do things together, that science can't even put their finger on, like DNA deep ingrained things. And I believe that's in us. I really do. I do that. I think there is a longing in all of us to form Voltron. Like, we're not happy as individuals. I think that concept, and some of that gets kind of messed up in our you know, westernized culture of independence and individuality. 
But there's a part here that really matters who we swim next to. Yeah. And, and all of these things really kind of paint a picture of um, what I would say, like moving from the negative to the, to the positive of like, I think many, some people might say, well, I'm not, I'm not racist, meaning I don't have feelings of anger, hate, resentment, prejudice against people of a different color. And I, I fully believe that's true, that there would be a lot of people in that, that category. Um, but they still may not be experiencing the all of the benefits, the fullness of the benefits of a fully integrated society. Like mm-hmm. I think that's why that's why integration matters. And that's why like swimming yeah. swimming next to people different people different than us matters. Because if it's if it's true in the animal kingdom, who again let me bring let me bring it back to the the theology issue for people of Christian faith. If that's true in the animal kingdom, and I think scientifically it is, right? Um, We would say, people of Christian faith would say, and penguins and fish aren't made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. That God created fish. So we we see a glimpse of a truth there, but then human beings are made in the image of God. So how much more, all that to say, if it's true for fish and if it's true for penguins, how much more is that true for humanity? If we truly learn to work together, like, you know, um, just dream with me for a second, like how much better could government be? How much better could our school systems be? How much better could our medical community be? Our farming communities, like all of these innovation, breakthrough, things that are good for society, like, what like what if this is true? What if this Imago Day stuff is really true, and that we and that we function better together? I mean, it's just it speaks a lot of hope. I think it really speaks mm-hmm. a lot of hope. Yeah, we've seen it like at at a micro level. I've seen it in my family, right? Like so, um, my family. My, my brother Ray brought home an Italian girl. You know, we're a Puerto Rican family. Um, my sister also brought home an Italian. I don't know what the deal is with Italians, but my <laughs> sister also brought home an Italian. Uh, I you know I I joke with them. Tim was a bowler. Chris's family hunted. My family doesn't hunt. We don't know what bowling is. Like those are, <laughs> you know, they 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 were they were they were odd. I can't I can't imagine my family ten you know twenty years removed from those moments. I can't imagine my family without Tim and Chris right now. And then they had kids, and now Alex and Emily and I mean uh, Alex and Andrea and and Tim and then on on Chris's side with Eric and and Richard and Jessica and they're marrying a bunch of weirdos and and in 20 years from now we'll look back and that's that's the beauty of family. Yeah. Now my family, you know, my brother Ray is learning how to hunt and he's enjoying it. Like some of my family is into bowling and it's silly. I know those are silly analogies but uh, Chris's grace has stepped into our family, like at a different level. Tim's, um, um, you know, love for his children has stepped into our family and made us better at loving our kids. Like, that's the beauty of what I see, the hope that I see for our, not just our country, but our church collectively, our world collectively, if we can just figure out how to swim together. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for joining us. Another episode of the Interbang Room. Again, we just want to continue to encourage you to live lives of passionate curiosity and discovery. And um, hey, maybe you're interested in issues of race and justice. I would I would encourage you this. Like, where does faith play a role for you in that? 
Um, where does theology, where does God play a role in that for you? And um, maybe just begin to investigate that and, and do a little bit of study on the image of God. And um, I, I think, again, I'm a little bit biased here, but I, I do think that the church has a, has a voice that we can uniquely add to this because it's it's a, a deep part of like who we are yeah. it's a it's our heritage and it's our our birthright um to do that so uh keep keep discovering keep being curious and keep living and in terabang life